Hello, ladies. I'm here to do chapter six. I know it's been a little while since I did the chapters. I got a little bit busy this week. But nonetheless, getting chapter six done before we meet up um, for our Sunday night gathering. Chapter six is called Make the Shift. A few months ago, I gathered a room full of women in my local church to study the things you and I are talking about here. We met for six weeks and lives were changed. The first night those, women's, those women streamed into the chapel where we were meeting. They were greeted by a giant whiteboard on which was written the question, what are you thinking about? Attached to that board were dozens of brightly colored sticky notes with topics that might be taking up space in their thoughts. Things like these, others' opinions, finances, plans, the holidays, the weekend, the news. Before the women in the Bible study took their seats, they were asked to identify a few of the thoughts that were true for them and peel off those sticky notes. It was a challenging task. Following that evening's exercise, my team and I assessed which thoughts had been taken, which thoughts had been taken and how many women, and which thoughts were still left on the board. If you ask Mr. Google how many of our many thoughts that day per day are positive and how many are negative, you will discover the very vast majority, a full 70%, some researchers say, are negative. Back, to the, back at that chapel, despite dozens of positive options available on those sticky notes, guess which options got picked? Stress at work, stress over finances, am I good enough, am I worthy? Failures, rejection, pain. Guess which sticky notes remained untouched? Choosing joy, strength, good memories, my heart. Hiking did get three takers, so at least there's that. Now, I've got to tell you, based on what these women indicated they were thinking about, I pretty much knew what assumptions they were making. Assumptions such as, if people knew how badly I failed, they'd never love me. And my worth comes from my ability to be perfect. No wonder I am not worthy of much. As a result of those assumptions, emotions mm -hmm. surfaced. Frustration, anger, hopelessness, embarrassment, inadequacy, shame. For those emotions, beliefs begin to form. I'll never thrive in my career. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be accepted and loved. I'll never get out of debt. From those beliefs, actions are taken. We will numb our pain. We will hide our fear. Fear. We will fake our happiness. We will armor up. Those actions over time from habits, which craft the lifestyles that shape our days. Those, I'm going to read that again. Those actions over time form habits which craft the lifestyle that shape our days. No wonder so many of us have trouble sticking to change. We fall prey to that 70% negative thinking, and then we wake up one day utterly defeated. We need a new normal, something those sticky notes only serve to conform. It's true that for some people, including maybe you, their central emotion in a given moment is something like peace or contentment or joy. But give those same people a day or a week or a month and trouble will have its way. It always does, you know. We live in a troubled world. 
as Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble. The good news is this. Once we recognize that a prevailing emotion is connected to outright life-sucking lies, we begin to see that everything we need for life in God has been given to us already, which means we begin to heal and live lives that matter. Over the past year, since my return home from that trip to Uganda with Esther and Anne, I've taken to calling this escape plan the shift. When I'm mirrored in a certain way of thinking that clearly is not serving me well, I can escape that thought pattern and seize a new thought pattern. I can make a mental shift. And by changing my mind, I can change my emotions, which interrupts the entire progression we look at earlier that results in how I'm experiencing life. The best part, you can do the same. You don't have to to spiral downward or end in a panicked heap. You don't have to be held captive by fears and doubts. You don't have to dwell on every horrible thing that may happen, that may never happen. According to Paul, in order to make the shift from warped philosophies or overwhelming doubt and barriers erected against the truth of God, which is 3 a.m. disbelief, to focus on something more in line. Ooh, no, I just lost my entire page. I'm so sorry, ladies. To focus on something more in line with the life shaped by Christ, we must take up weapons of warfare and destroy the strongholds that are dominating our thoughts. First, of course, we must lean. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. We must learn to recognize those strongholds. Your mental story map. We begin by being aware of what we are thinking about, by zeroing in on our thoughts and identifying it for what it is. Evil never wants to be noticed. I should mention that here. It sneaks in, it hijacks our minds, and we barely notice anything's amiss. I barely noticed anyway. So vote for noticing. For thinking about what we're thinking about. If you're game to give the thinking about thinking thing a try, then grab a journal and a pen. Ready? Step one. Refereeing as needed. I have like a tongue twister thing going on. Step one. Referring as needed to the graphic example, which is um, found on page 53 in your book. Right in the center of a blank page, the primary feeling or emotion you're experiencing right now. It could be good or bad. So in the center, they have overwhelmed. You might write anxious or peaceful, overwhelmed, angry, afraid. Whatever it is, jot it down in the center. Now draw a big circle around that word. Scattered around that large circle, write everything you can think of that's contributing to that feeling or that emotion. You might write laundry that isn't done, or work, or kids, or financial stress, or body image issues. Draw a smaller circle around each of those contributing factors. Then trace a line from each of them, connecting them to the large one. Nearby each small circle, list list how that factor has been contributing to the emotion you're experiencing. 
So they wrote overwhelmed and coming off of it in a smaller circle, they wrote work. Then above it, it says a project due, dis disagreement with coworker, feel inadequate for my job. So those are the things that are contributing it. Keep going until you have exhausted all the possible possibilities prompting the emotion you wrote down. Step two, talk to God about it. Pray with your paper in front of you and talk through each thing you've written down. Go to his word and look for the truths he's given us. Tell him about it. Ask him to show you what you are believing, believing wrongly about him and yourself. Ready to move on? Step three. Look for patterns and common themes in your circles. Are you worrying about things you cannot control? Are you angry about how you've been wronged? Are you obsessed with what you have done or what you don't have? Has food, sex, entertainment, or money taken over your thoughts? Are you ashamed of what you've done in the past? Are you self-critical? Okay, so why did I have you go through this exercise? It's so that you can see plainly how your thoughts are building a storyline about God that is either true or untrue. If we want to stop our pattern of toxic thoughts, we must notice what's happening and take action. Countering any lies we believe about God with the truth that interrupts the downward spiral. And to do that effectively, we're going to need some help. The mind of Christ. It's almost impossible to navigate through our culture without being bombarded with messages about how we can do better or be better. Experts speak directly to our desire for hope through self-improvement books, websites, articles, infomercials, and so on. We feel an, a surge of optimism. The thrill of anticipation rises within us. When we hear how the right mantra, the right workout, the right financial plan, the right determination will lead us to do better, more fulfilling lives, we sense, we sense should be ours. Who doesn't like the nip and tuck to plan and resolve, to declare and push and grow? Who doesn't like the idea that with a little determination we can be better than we were before? None of us want to stay stuck where we are. We all want to flourish and to thrive. Despite the wild success of today's lifestyle gurus, the idea of self-help is nothing new. Hundreds of years before Jesus' time, people were writing ethical arguments to help people choose wiser, better lives. The self-help culture as we know it today has its more obvious orig origins in the 19th century. For example, in 1859, Samuel Smiles wrote a book that was titled Self-Help. You may recognize the famous maximum smiles included. Heaven helps those who help themselves. This message is so readily embraced that people have often been sure it's a quotation from scripture, but it isn't. The line is found nowhere in the Bible, but it might as well be. Who needs God when the real helper is inside us? Itself. Ideas like this helped birth the self-help industry. Time marched on and others joined the cause. Del Carnegie released How to Win Friends and Influence People. Psychotherapy grew more and more popular. Infomercials became a thing. Motivational speakers began to draw crowds. 
and here we sit in a post-truth society bombarded with promises of happiness, wealth, fulfillment, and all our dreams met. Yet, we are miserably unhappy. Why? Because for all the good that self-help does, that help also comes up short in the end. The best that self-help can do with our suffering, with our shortcomings, with our spiraling, is to reject it, to determine to do better, to declare today this awfulness stops. But we don't simply need our spiraling thoughts to stop. We need our minds to be redeemed. Bondage necessities rescue. Oppression needs to be lifted. Blindness waits for sight. Waywardness must be transformed. No self-generated declaration, loud and passionate though it may be, can bring about this liberation. Instead, we need a complete transformation. Our minds exchanged for the mind of Christ. We are not to think more good thoughts about ourselves. We are made to experience life and peace and begin to think less about ourselves and more about our creator and about others. Seek the first kingdom, Jesus said. The greatest commandments, love good and love others. The only true self-help is for us as followers of Jesus to believe we are daughters and sons of the king of the universe and to know our identities are secured by the shed blood of God's own son. When we believe that about ourselves, we think less about ourselves and more about the mission we have been given to love God and the people God put in front of us, no matter our circumstances. Sure, you can make a certain amount of progress on your own, but you're not going to have the fruit of the Spirit and you're not going to have the mind of Christ. Are those who urge us to take control of our lives entirely wrong? No. We do have a part to play. But our effort won't take us across the finish line if there is no outside force shifting the inside of us. What you do once you take a thought captive, you then submit that thought to Christ. That is how you experience a new mind, a new identity, a new way to live, one that's spirit-empowered. The world understands that no progress can be made without doing the work. They understand it better than many Christians do. But self-help can offer only a better vision version of yourself. Christ is after a whole new you. God in you, the mind of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit coming through you. You go from a dying, withered spruce tree to a thriving fruit tree producing pears. It's a completely new creation. This work, the shift we're going to make, might be the most important thing you've ever done. But we don't do it merely as another self-improvement project. We do it because we want to live a new creation kind of life, a life that truly matters, a life in Christ that God has promised. That's the end of chapter 6.